Allie and I have a, a friend who's a nanny uh, by profession, and she confessed to us one day, we were playing cards, and she said, okay, so in the house that I'm caring for, um, there's something that's a little peculiar in the house, and that is that there's often that I'll go over to the house, they have a teenage boy, and I'll go over to the house, and the, the mom will be feeding her son pizza while he's playing video games, right? Now, I want you to get this picture. This isn't just dropping the box of pizza off at like the edge of the basement, you know, knowing that what's going on down there and just leaving it. Some of the students in the room are like, yeah, mom, that's awesome. Can you imagine for a second a mother sitting there feeding her son while he's playing his video games so he can keep up with his, you know, some of you are shaking your head. You're a little judgmental like I am, right? Now, now, like for some of us, we're thinking about this and we're like, what must it be like to marry that kid someday, right? Like, what, what would it be like to be that kid's boss someday, right? It, it's kind of, uh, kind of scary, isn't it? But, but in our faith, uh, and this morning we're going to talk about this, one of the things that we recognize in, in human development is that we go through stages, right? A, a stage that we start off on is we start with, with suckling milk. We, we begin with this, this digested energy source that provides the nutrients that we need. And then hopefully over time, we, we move on to those little jars of blended vegetables. Ooh, ooh, you guys remember those? And, and then we move on, right? As our teeth develop, we move into solid food. And, and there's a day... I make fun of the pizza kid. Uh, I hope he's not listening this morning. Um, but uh, that, that there's a day for us when we move into being mature and we become a self-feeder, right? That, that we're able to care for our own needs. And, and it's embarrassing at some level to have to depend on someone else all of the time for your needs. Now, spiritually, uh, the Apostle Paul has a theme that he uses in Scripture that he talks about our spiritual development, and there's a part of our spiritual development that what we're going to see in the verses that we get to study together today is that it needs to be something that's taken really personally. That, that when it comes to our faith, that we cannot always depend on someone else, even someone that we respect, someone who we trust, someone who's smarter than us, someone who we can fill in the blank. We know their history. They wrote books, whatever it is that we ultimately are people who are required, responsible. We're going to see this in the example of God's word. It's really encouraging today that, that we're going to see the fact that there's a responsibility that we have personally to address these deep questions in our life and to do so with the right source of information. I, I put up here a picture of, of the names on the cups at five bucks or seven bucks or Starbucks. Oh yeah, that's what it's called, Starbucks. Um, so you know, you know how it works, right? You go there and, and you're really glad that they put your name on the cup, especially if you're like me this time. I'm not a fan of the pumpkin spice. Some of you love it. Uh, I pray for people like you, just kidding. Um, but, but for some of us, you know, we, we want to make sure that it's the right thing, right? Like that it's, it's personal, it's specific to us. And when they give us that cup with our name on it, we hope that there's a good possibility that they personalized it to what we wanted, right? And when it comes to our faith, there's a part of this that, that having that 
pressure to be the person who makes sure it's the right stuff that you're taking in is something for some of us we need to take as seriously as we do our drinks, right? As seriously as the other parts of our lives that we, we take personally. And so this morning as we study God's word together, I want to just remind you of the fact that your faith is your personal responsibility. And, and I'm aware of the fact that we have kids in the room right now. I'm aware of the fact that we have students that are in the room. And, and for some of us, I, I've seen this as we've prepared for missions trips and we ask individuals to share their personal testimony. That so often when we ask individuals to share their personal testimony, there's a sentence that we often use at the beginning. And that is this, I grew up in a Christian home, right? Now, now that sentence says something because it's saying to us, at some level, we're saying that we inherited this thing, right? And that's okay. I get it. I, I said it. I've said it many times in my life. But, but today, I'm going to challenge you this morning. Like, if we could take that out of our vocabulary, why is it that you call yourself a Christ follower? Why is it that you claim that, you've heard me say this a thousand times, that like, this is the most important thing about us? Like, why is this so significant, so personal, and what we're going to see is something that's both encouraging this morning in the text, that they get it. They understood that God's word had to be the source of truth, the foundation. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit word that allows us to understand the truth and, and voice of the God of the universe. It's incredible. But we're also going to see, at least in two different occasions in the text, something that's a bit of a warning for us in the text. And that is, there are people that surround you, that would love to borrow your credibility. They would love to take your name as a Christ follower and allow the influence that you have in your life to be something that they hijack for themselves. We, we use this term a lot today. It's influencers, right? Uh, you hear of people being a paid influencer, that, that LeBron James receives thousands of dollars to send a text in reference to a particular brand of something. And it's, it's not always sincere. It's not always his favorite, but it's because of the fact that by just sending a text or a tweet or a, that, that it's, it's something where he's influencing other people. And for some of us, we've just found ourselves being influenced and influenced in a way that, that that influence that God has given us can actually be hijacked by someone. The, the word I'll use this morning in the text is that we can abdicate our influence, that we can give that to someone else. And it's scary. It's actually quite dangerous in our faith. So I'd like to draw your attention to God's word in the book of Acts. Uh, we've been studying this together in a series with the title Unstoppable. That's God's unstoppable work. And, and, and in, the, in the book of Acts, we're going to see the first point flowing out of God's word here is that our faith requires personal understanding. That, that our, our faith requires us to, do you remember what God's word says? It says, love the Lord your God. This was Jesus who taught this, and it was a carryover from the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. Like there's, a, there's an engagement of the whole part of who you are. And here, we have to accept that our faith requires personal understanding. Chapter 17 in verse 1, it says this. Now, when they had passed through Amphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. This was, uh, Thessalonica was a very special city. It was 
known as a free city. They made their own coins. They had a unique set of government. It would have been known as a place of freedom. And so the government functioned a little differently here. And so here in Thessalonica, there was a synagogue of the Jews. So, so they were not as oppressed as some of the other places in the day. And there were enough men there to have a synagogue. And, and, and I love this, this statement in verse 2. And Paul went in as was his custom. For those of you who have stuck with us through the series through the book of Acts, I want you to think about what synagogues have meant for Paul over the last several weeks that we've studied this. Synagogues have often meant for him, at the end of the day, they were kind of bad for his health. Let's just be honest. Like he, he was beaten after being in places where he was surrounded. He was left for debt. There, was, there have been these really significant things that have happened already where the Apostle Paul in the synagogue is in a place where, where really you have to ask yourself, why in the world is he going back to the synagogue? He's not a man who associates with his Jewish faith primarily anymore. And yet, what we see is that he cared about people. If we boil this down, we could say that he understood the relevancy of the gospel so much that it was going to become his habit to continue to go to the synagogue to represent there the love of Christ. So, so this is not necessarily him going in and going, man, what, what's the rabbi going to say to me today? But instead, what he's doing here is he walks into the synagogue as he says, Lord, help me to love these people. Help me to love these people, some of which who may ultimately hurt me at some point. But, but there's an element of this that is so powerful to me, and that is that his pattern, his habit, and I'll ask you that question, <laughs> what's your habit these days? We, we've got habits that we have to break, don't we? We've got patterns in our life, some of which that we need to go, man, maybe I need to understand this. He loved others more than himself, and I think it's really, really significant. Our new district superintendent says this phrase. He says, I pray that Christ followers would understand what it means to represent the love of Christ in our places of worship, which is pretty easy for us, let's be honest, but also the places of work and the places of play. <laughs> like that it's everywhere, that we understand, Lord, this is what you're asking of us. Our habit is to be associated with Christ in our worship, our work, and our play. Goes on to say in verse two, and Paul, Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. We know later from the book of Thessalonians that this was a long process. And this phrase is a really significant one. He's reasoning with them. He's not just going in and saying, you know, here it is, and then dropping the mic. <laughs> he's, not, he's not just, he's actually engaging with these individuals. He reasons with them from the, from the truth of God's word. He explains and provides that it was necessary from the Christ for the Christ to suffer, to raise from the dead. And he says, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And it's great, verse four, it says, and some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So are, are some worth it? You bet you they are, <laughs> they are. That this, this investment that he does here, you can see on the map as we continue through Paul's second missionary journey that we see he's made it to Thessalonica, about to go to Berea and Athens and to continue on this multiple year journey of establishing the truth of God's word, establishing a plurality of leadership. But I want you to catch this as we watch this play out. 
as some of them are persuaded and join Paul, what we understand is that Paul is using God's word, the inspired by the Holy Spirit word, to be the ultimate standard of truth. Church, this is our standard of truth. It's not how clever the speaker is. It's not how winsome they are. It's not how even powerful their arguments are. It's God's word. We're told in Hebrews 4.12 that it is living and active. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.15 that God's word is God-breathed. It's inspired by God and it's profitable for all kinds of instruction. It's awesome, isn't it? It's a living word. Praise the Lord, we have access to it. And so God's word is the standard of truth for us. It's the measurement that we use to allow ourselves to determine if something is true or false. God's word is the standard of truth. It's also important for us to remember that taking your faith personally requires some personal effort. Taking your faith personally requires effort. The first thing that, that stands out to me is that, is that we need to be people who are willing to ask the, the essential hard questions in our faith. What is difficult about our faith? What, what is challenging for us? The, the class that Jeff Laird is going to be teaching at 9 o'clock, it uses this term apologetics. And, and, and the reason why we can be apologists for our faith is not because we're ashamed of it, but it's because we're saying, I've asked these really hard questions. There's really good answers for these really hard questions. And as we ask ourselves these really hard questions, what we allow ourselves to do is to be able to help others to answer their really, really hard questions. So, so taking our faith personally requires effort. And I, and I want to really be clear. In our society today, like we recognize that we have to source check the information that we receive. We realize we have so much information out there, right? Like you can Wikipedia anything in the world. And, and often you have to find yourself saying, well, who's the source? Who's giving this information to me? We have, we have a society that asks hard questions. And I think as Christ followers, one of the dangers for us, especially those of us in the room that are like me, when I was a boy, when I accepted Christ, I had faith like a child. Like God said this, I'm going to accept it. But over time, what I had to do was to grow into my faith, to understand some of these hard questions, sometimes for the sake of those who are asking these really, really hard questions. Really common ones today is, why am I still suffering? Really common ones today are, are what does it mean to have an exclusive faith? One way to God that seems so hard. The question of eternity and, and ever present with God, eternity, the spiritual dynamics of that, heaven, hell. These are all questions that are really, really hard. And for those of us who are Christ followers, I believe that there are really good answers to these questions. But for many of us, we have to wrestle through with them. Taking our faith requires effort. And it requires us to be people who are willing to ask the hard questions. First Peter 3.15 talks about this, that we need to have a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. This is personal. So, so we make this personal in our lives. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, when I mentioned earlier about spiritual meat and food, I just want you to hear these words. They're so important. Paul says this, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, 
But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, distinguishing good or evil. Do you see so much truth in that? That this requires constant practice. It requires our personal effort. And, and Paul's rebuking those who had kind of stuck, gotten stuck in a pattern that was unhealthy. I think it's helpful for us. Later, we'll see it in the text. It'll say literally that the gospel was turning the world upside down. That's a pretty interesting description. And I, in my own words, would say we have to remember that the gospel is necessarily disruptive. The gospel is revolutionary. It's challenging. It's com- like to have the good news, you have to have the bad news. And, and here, what we see is that, is that those who are going to hear this challenge are going to be shocked by it. It's going to be confrontational. It's going to change the rules and what people depend upon. And, and later in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.2, Paul says this, that they had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. That's the way the text puts it. So, so the gospel, even at this time period, was, was not always received well. It was confrontational. There was a challenge to it, but it was good. Another sub-point this morning is sharing our faith as an active process. And I want to remind you of how we do that. We can follow an example that the Apostle Paul used. What the Apostle Paul did as we look back in the text is that he gave evidence for his faith. He reasoned with them. The Greek word that references this reasoning, dialexado, is the word that you and I get the word dialogue from. That, that he went in. He didn't just drop the information, but he had a dialogue with them. They, they understood because of the fact that he communicated, he explained. That's another Greek word that shows up here. From the scriptures, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving their faith. So again, it wasn't just a dropped message. It wasn't just a distant message. We, we laugh in seminary. There was a, a speaker who came in, actually in college, that, that said that someone had come to Christ because somebody had thrown from a bus a a, um, one, of the, one of those gospel tracts and like hit somebody in the head and then the next week they came to church you know and you hear that story and you're like come on really? Uh, it's possible but, but that, that has to be the exception to the rule right? That we engage with people. We, we dialogue with them. In this case in a religious setting they're, they're having this conversation. So give evidence for your faith. Explain what your faith is. And I want to give us just a quick caution when it comes to church stuff, is that um, we have the tendency to maybe use some words that aren't always understood by those outside of us. We use these wonderful words in the Christian faith, like redemption, grace. We use words like, like propitiation. Uh, does somebody want to spell that for me, right, this morning? Uh, and I, I can't help but relate to the fact the first time that I went golfing, uh, very bad, uh, and uh, wearing a jeans and a t-shirt, uh, and, um, and it was an ugly experience, I'll just say that, but I heard words that people use, like mulligans and bogeys and yips, and th- they have their own vocabulary, right? They have their own dress code. They, they know how it all works, and I just knew really quickly, I don't know what's going on here right? And in a church setting, often what we have to, we have to be careful about assuming that people know what we're talking about, right? And, and here in this context of the gospel, what the apostle Paul does is he, he opens their minds. That's literally one of these terms. When he explains their faith, he's opening their minds. 
It's that same term that we use in, in talking about opening the womb. Like there, there's this, this understanding, this enlightenment that happens because of the fact that he loved them enough to explain it to them. And, and here we see that he's explaining what their faith is. And then it's important, and this may be the thing that's the hardest for us, is the proclamation of it. Because we understand that it's not a popular message these days. We understand that there's elements of the gospel that are confrontational and challenging. But here what the Apostle Paul does is he proclaims it. And what we know from scripture is this this constant question. How can they hear the message without a messenger? And so here they hear this truth proclaimed by the Apostle Paul. You know, it's, it's important as we come to the second point this morning, as we look at the remaining 10 verses here, that abdicating our faith to others is incredibly dangerous. Uh, I want to illustrate this this morning. Does, does someone have a $20 bill? Um, somebody, I expect you to look. Does anybody have a 20? Michael, you're looking for a $20 bill. Okay, so, so there was a, a thing historically. Aristotle wrestled with this. Socrates wrestled with this. They called it sophistry. And sophistry and ancient logic was a, a, an issue that was there where they said people who can be, be gifted with their speech can be persuasive in such a way that they move you to action. But the question is, uh, is what they're persuading you? And Michael doesn't have it, but over here. Okay, I've got my, so it's COVID-19, so I'm going to use a tissue. All right, thank you. All right, so uh, that's good. All right, we got this. Okay, so um, I hope this is working right now. I'm so excited. $20. Okay, so. So, so we're going to play a game together, all right? The way this game is going to work is that um, your $20 is up here, and I, I have a coin in my pocket, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip this coin, and if it's heads, then I win, and if it's tails, then you lose, okay? All right? You guys, you guys ready? So, <laughs> heads. All right. Thanks. Um, that's great. All right. We'll just put that right there. No, all right. That's good. You, you hear it, right? Heads I win, tails you lose. That was the classic argument. They, they use persuasion. And at first you go, okay. okay. But it takes you on a path where ultimately you lose, right? That ultimately you're someone who loses. And I want to make sure that we understand this from a perspective of Christ followers, that there's influence that God's given us. Some of us abdicate that influence out of fear and shame. And I don't want to share that message with you because I'm afraid of the repercussions. But what we see in the text is that there's actually people who are pretty easily persuaded that were persuaded in such a way that it led to, you're wondering if you're getting your money back, aren't you? Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk. Um, but, but there's people who allow themselves to check their brain at the door. It, it was a book I read when I was a teenager and it was so influential for me. And it was about being in school and listening to, I went to public school growing up and there were things that they said that just went directly against what God's word teaches. And the challenge of the book was like, keep your brain in there. Keep asking questions, ask the hard things. In church, I want to say that same thing at work, at play, at church even. We're going to see this in the text. Like, keep wrestling with truth and asking hard questions. Wait a second, that doesn't sound right. Wait a second, that doesn't measure up to what I've heard before in the past. And I want to make sure that you catch this. I, I had the privilege of sitting underneath some of the best teachers in the world as, as a student in seminary and in, at Cedarville. I, it's a wonderful, and there were times when what they said did not measure up to the truth of God's word. Wonderful teachers, authors, 
And, and, and there's, an, it, there's an okay process. We're going to see it validated in scripture. That it's okay for us to say that we have to be sensitive. Pay attention. Use God's word as the highest standard. And we have to be careful. Use that word carefully. Abdicating, right? We know this from a, from a royal perspective. That you, you choose to set aside what is yours rightfully out of sometimes out of cowardice, sometimes out of conviction, sometimes you abdicate, you give it up to other people. I'm afraid that this is a temptation for us. We see this in verse five, as we see these paid influencers that were able to stoke up such a crisis in the early church. Verse five, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, different translations use different derogatory terms to them, but what we assume from what we understand in the context is that these were paid people who were influenced to cause uh, uh, chaos. They formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar, they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. This Jason, we don't know that much about him here, he may show up later in scripture, but what we know is that he was an acquaintance of the apostle Paul, he was a fellow believer, someone whom they loved, and Jason was a part of that community. And they, in verse six, when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, and so maybe he was just guilty by association, and some of the brothers before the city authorities saying, these shouting, these men have turned the world upside down. They've come here also. That phrase, turn the world upside down. Isn't it fascinating that that's what evil thinks about what the gospel's doing is that it's turning the world upside down? Isn't it just the opposite of what, what God's doing, right? He's not turning the world upside down. Now, was it revolutionary? Yes, was the, the rules of the world around getting turned on its, actually, it's getting turned right side up, right? And, and here, what we see is, is this thing, they, they've turned the world upside down. I, I, I want to remind you again this morning, others would love to use your influence to amplify their message. Uh, my dad owns a little farm in um, about as far away from here in Ohio as you can be in a little, little city called Lewisburg, Ohio. And um, I had the privilege of going hunting there with some guys from our church. My dad allowed some men from the church to hunt on the property a long time ago. And and as you go onto the property, there's, there's no hunting signs everywhere around this thing. Like they're posted all around it. And and we get in there, and there are a few fixed tree stands um, and that were there. And, and we get to the actual tree stand where I'm supposed to take my little shotgun to go shoot Bambi. And um, uh, some of you are like, oh, man, he's not serious. I didn't shoot anybody, all right, just so you know. But I'm going to do this. And um, we get there, and we see that there's someone up in the tree stand already. That's not what you want to see happen at 4.30 in the morning as you're, you're getting there, you know, super early to try to be there for sunrise. And as, as we uh, kind of call up there, this man comes down and he starts talking to the men that are with me. And he says, well, I have permission from Mr. Brennan to hunt on this land. And, and one of the guys with us said, well, Mr. Brennan's right here. And he doesn't know who you are, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that, that this man had heard my father's name, right? And, and he thought that he could just use that as his excuse to be, like he wanted to borrow it, right? Unfortunately, when it comes to Christ followers, I believe that there are individuals and people who would love to borrow our influence. They would love to have access to what it, God has uniquely ask, asked us to have. And we see this flow out of the text in verse seven. And Jason has received them. They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. 
And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things and when they had taken money. This is fascinating. So, so Satan does something new here that he's not taking Paul's money, but he's going to take money. Uh, he's going to kind of hold his ransom. Or he's going to seize the funds of Jason, a friend of theirs. So a new attack from Satan. I, I can't get to them, so I'm going to get to the people they love. He's good at that, by the way that he's going to attack the man who was a friend. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Later in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we're going to see that, that literally Paul says Satan hindered their return. And, and we don't know if this was one of an, another one of Satan's methods to steal, to kill, and to devour. But, but it helps us to understand an example of the authority of God's word. Verse, in verse um, at 10, it says this, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now they continue on. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Remember, as was their habit. Now these Jews were no more noble. This is a great Greek word here. It, it says they're high-minded. They, they understood. They got it. And here, then those in Thessalonica, they received the word. This is so good. They received God's word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things that were taught were so. Many of them believed and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as for men. These, these verses are worth memorizing for us. This is, this is an incredible time in history and it's important for us not to ignore what's said there. It says, they received the message, so they heard it with eagerness. Uh, thank you for being a great audience when it comes to studying God's Word. I love having the privilege of preaching here at Hope. You guys are gracious. And I think that there's a part of you, many of you, who come back and you say, what about this first? This is what God's teaching me this. This is challenging. You receive the message that's presented with eagerness. But, but let's be, be clear. It doesn't matter who's presenting it. In this case, it was the Apostle Paul a man who was educated, informed in, in so many different layers as a, as a Pharisee. And now what they're doing though is they're holding God's word as the standard. And as they hold God's word as the standard, what happens is with eagerness, they examine the scriptures. That's the personal thing, right? That they're, they're studying this and they're saying, is this true? And they wanted to see if what he was teaching was, was so. Be, please be clear in your minds that it's very appropriate for you to do that with anything that I ever teach. And, and Jim would say the same thing. Others who stand here always feel the freedom to do that in what we sing and what we say and what we teach, how we teach it. Uh, those who are teaching classes, it's not just because they said so. That's not good enough. I'll just tell you, it's not good enough because fill in the blank said so is never good enough, but God's standard is so substantial. And what we see in the text is many of them therefore believed. Again, not all, but many of them believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. As men. It's awesome to think that God's moving on behalf of this group of people. They're, they're moving from spiritual infants to spiritually mature. They're actually making disciples in such a way that the church in Thessalonica and in that community is going to have an influence for the sake of the kingdom because they took their faith personally. It's really encouraging. Let's go on in verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. And again, going back to this, this point about abdicating our faith, what, what ends up happening is they, 
they allowed themselves, this group of people allows themselves to be agitated and to be stirred up into a crowd. They, they were influenced. Verse 14, and then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Friends, it's, it's in, important for us this morning to remember that we need to be people who see God's word as the highest standard, that we need to be careful about abdicating the authority that God's given us on any standard. We need to be people who take our faith very personally. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was so committed to something that's essential. And that is, at a time in history, it was often looked at the, the fact that, that a priest would have to be the person who truth was poured through in, other, in order for a person to understand it. And one of the things that we understand by the teachings of the book of Hebrews and elsewhere in scripture is that God's given us his word. It is not required to be poured through another personality for us to understand it, but instead we have access to the personality of the Holy Spirit. And he's allowed us through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to understand radical living truths. And so here is Martin Luther's words in this area. He says, unless I'm convinced from scriptures, I cannot recant or change my teachings. <laughs> he's saying, like, I, I, this has to be true. I have to submit to it. So, so, so it doesn't matter how persuasive a person is. It doesn't matter the, the games that they play at times to manipulate. It, it, we, we can be immune to that, actually, if we choose to be people who take God at his word, right? If we choose to allow ourselves to take this personally. So in closing, I just want to remind you that we want to be people who choose not to abdicate our faith, but to be self-feeders of God's word. And that progress is the natural way that God designed for us to grow. That he designed for us in our human development to go from being fed to at some point being able to feed ourselves. And that is my prayer for our Hope Church family. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. We're gonna sing a song that is kind of a creedal song. It, it talks about what we believe. And there's something that's inherently valuable about that. It's, it's appropriate for us to say, you know what, this is, this is my conviction. Uh, this is my passion. This is my heart. And these, these statements, they don't just come because of a clever person or a statement that came out because of the fact that someone thought it was a good idea, but instead it's because of the fact that these truths were written and established on the foundation of the truth of God's word. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for the wonderful minds that you've blessed us with. I thank you for the minds of our children in this room, for the minds of the adults in this room, Lord, that you've given us the ability to reason and to wrestle and to challenge and to question. And I, I can't help but accept that that is a part of our natural development. Why? What? How? Who? And I, and I pray for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers today, that we would be people who understand your authority in such a way that we're willing to submit to the truth of your word, Lord, that we're willing to accept that your word is living and active, that it's the highest source of authority. 
And Lord, we, we can accumulate teachers right now that, that, are, that, that literally have nothing to do with geography because of the internet and because of the way that we can, we can gather around us teachers. And I believe that there was an inherent warning in your word that there was, there's going to be a day in history when we surround ourselves with teachers who give us what, what tickles our ears, that, that just declares to us what's comfortable or peaceful, easy for us to hear. And Lord, you condemn that in our lives because sometimes your truth is hard truth. Sometimes your truth is truth that spurs us on to love and to good deeds and to action, that it necessitates obedience, that it's convicting and challenging. And, and it's a result of diligent pursuit of a God who's not just truth, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. Love you, Lord, this morning. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.